Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. With, us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. Once again, we are back to talk about the ancient world on film. This time, it's Ben-Hur. Had to use our suitably epic music. Uh, yeah. Hello again, I am Sean Marlanukum. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel where we explore everything from the ancient world of cosmos. Today, we are going to be talking about the ancient world of the movies. We're going to be talking about Ben-Hur, and who better to join us and talk about this than the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. So, Gary, you uh, were very interested in talking about this film in particular, and I... Um, watched it again. I had seen it a long time ago. Um, let's first talk about you uh, the story, what the plot of Ben-Hur is. We're looking at the 1959 movie uh, that was directed by William Wyler, I believe, William Wyler, and the screenplay was by Carl Turnberg, but Gore Vidal has apparently had some involvement in that. And the stars are Charlton Heston, Stephen Boy, Jack Hawkins, so very much a 1950s movie. So why don't you tell the listener the plot of the story and a little bit about the book upon which it was based. I know you wanted to bring that up. Yeah, actually, there were multiple film versions. There's a silent film version, early talking version, and so on. Um, and uh, the 1959 film was like the third or fourth version. Uh, but it's based on a novel, Ben-Hur, by Lou Wallace. And uh, Lou Wallace is a fascinating guy. There should be a film about him in his own right, mm -hmm. because um, he was involved in a major way in, in uh, the Civil War. And uh, I just want to read, uh, I got a beautiful yeah, edition. Uh, tell us a little more about him. Uh, I got a beautiful edition of the book that was published by the Heritage Club. And they have a little uh, historical background on him. And it said, uh, and he, he became a general, General Lou Wallace. Um, and uh, it said, um, in, in April 1862, um, General uh, Albert Sidney Johnson of the Confederates made a surprise attack on General Grant's forces at Pittsburgh, near Pittsburgh Landing, Tennessee. And um, and so it, it became known as the Battle of Shiloh, you know. And um, so uh, Wallace was instrumental in turning the tide on that. Mm -hmm. And then get this later, um, two years later, 1864, Wallace struck a telling blow for the Union along the Monocacy River near Frederick, Frederick, Maryland. 
And uh, so the Confederate General Jubal Early with 17,000 troops was out to capture the city of Washington. How about that? Mm. Long before, uh, uh, you know, who tried it earlier this year. Right. It is, it is, it's, it's ama- it is uh, amazing and important for us to remember that our nation's capital has been in play in different battles. Of course, the War of 1812 and then in this case where but he, yeah, but he didn't southern, succeed. Southern right. He didn't make it in, into the Capitol building like what happened uh, last January 6th. Get this, because uh, General Lew Wallace with 6,000 men got in his way. And with a brilliant and effective delaying action, you know, uh, succeeded. How about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and the then author, it goes on. Summer of eighteen sixty-five, right. Wallace was one of nine officers who made up the military commission, which tried the Lincoln conspirators and sentenced four of them, including one woman, to be hanged. A few months later, he was president of the court martial, was sentenced to death. Henry Wirtz. Commandant of the Confederate uh, military prison at Andersonville. You remember that horrible episode there? Mm-hmm. Andersonville, Georgia, where some 14,000 Union soldiers you know, died. And Wirtz was hanged and so on. You know, I mean, uh, Wallace was really something. So what um, was it, how, did, how did it come about that he would write this epic? Let's tell, again, let's get make sure the viewer... The listener uh, understands what Ben Hur is about. If they haven't heard of it, it's a famous work. But just so they get a little background. Well, he started getting interested in uh, historical themes, and, uh, and and started to write. Even though he was get get this governor of New Mexico, and so in 1873, he published *The Fair God: The Story of the Conquest of Mexico*, um, and uh, so on. But then he finally turned his attention to uh, Ben-Hur, and get this, he was riding Ben-Hur in the presidential palace uh, with six-foot adobe walls in in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've been there. In fact, I was going to go there later this month because of COVID. Me and my friend Michael from Long Beach, we're not going to go now. Probably, you know, until COVID becomes under control, if it ever does, you know, Maybe later this year or next year. God but, willing, it will. Yes. But anyhow, get this: he was he did all this incredible research. He had this room just filled with books on on the Holy Land and uh, Jerusalem and all this sort of thing because he wanted to get his facts right. And basically, they're right. You know, he mentions the Joppa Gate, at, you know, Jerusalem and so on. Um, so one night, by you know candlelight or whatever light he had, you know, lantern light probably. He's riding Ben-Hur, and and who comes by and tries to shoot him, shoot up the, the presidential palace? No other than Billy the Kid. Well, this, we could do a whole podcast just on the general himself. This is uh, <laughs> yeah, it, It's incredible. And so then he gets, um, you know, the, now I'm blanking on it, the uh, lawman to go after Billy the Kid, and he says, I, I want him taken out, and I want him killed, you know. And he, he finally got killed elsewhere in uh, in New Mexico. So Billy the Kid, you know, ticked off the wrong guy <laughs> by disturbing, you know, Lou Wallace writing Ben-Hur. How about that? 
yeah. Didn't work out well for him. Didn't work out well for him. Um, so so Ben Hur, he gets he's he's writing Ben Hur. Well, he, he writes the book, he publishes, it becomes super successful. So that get this, in uh as early as nineteen thirteen, thirty-three years after the book's original publication, Sears Roebuck. I, apparently they were printing it, you know, and they ran off the one millionth copy of Ben Hur, one million copies. Well, it's a, it's an it's an amazing the the way it's structured is very appealing. Uh, you know, this story it's been translated this, into yeah. every language possible. It's just been a huge hit forever. So that's why they made the movies about it. You know. Yeah, well, the, it takes place, of course, in the age, uh, sort of the time of Christ. So you have this aristocratic uh, uh, Jewish family, and Judah Ben-Hur is the, the sort of, I, I guess not really the, he, he's the patriarch eventually. He is the, the prince, the, the, the one who is the uh, head of the family at this point, and he's young and he's strong, and he is friends with a Roman since boyhood named Masala. Uh, right. And the conflict comes because Masala becomes governor of the province of Judea. And so now you have this sort of, uh, or, or actually he's not governor, I'm sorry. He is the, uh, the first, um, uh, what would you say? He is the, the, the first officer to the governor. The governor is Pontius Pilate. Yeah. So, which of course we know Pontius now, Pilate. Masala goes away to Rome to learn how to be an obnoxious Roman. And uh, comes back with, you know, uh, all this attitude that Rome is just so superior and everybody else is inferior and everything. And well, that's very- that's the, that's the conflict. I mean, to me, that you know, not to me, to anyone. That's the interesting conflict about. You start off with this conflict of the two men; they're friends. One adopts the 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 culture of the great Roman Empire, the power of that empire, and one represents the culture of. Of the Jews. Of the Jews that eventually, which is clearly what the the book is playing against, becomes a sort of Christian (laughs) ethos. And because Christ is a really important centerpiece in this. So that is the story. I want to mention uh, one more thing about the book. Mm -hmm. It has a very beautiful introduction about the three wise men coming together. Mm Mm-hmm. Which wasn't really, I mean, it was briefly portrayed in the movie, but he goes into this detail. And, you know, one's from Egypt and one's from Israel and so on. Uh, And get this when they come together finally, and they're led there by the light in the sky that, you know, leads them to um, the manger where Jesus is born. Um, when When they first come together, they speak different languages, right? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't understand each other. But then all of a sudden, when they get blessed by the light, you know, leading them to the manger, they can understand each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's really a nice touch in, in that opening. It's a, That's a wonderful touch. And I threw out the movie, and as the story is unfurled in the movie, there is that sense of the the Christian blessing that is throughout the piece that the that Christ's presence in the world at that point is transforming things and people and giving hope 
to the hopelessness. Yeah, you never you never yeah. see him speak or whatever, but his presence is shown throughout the film, you know, peripherally. You, you, um, yeah, you see him from behind. There's the great scene yeah. when Ben Hur is uh, is is captured or or is in prison. He's he is going to be taken, and he, he's going to go to the galleys, and he is being forced marched, and he's about to die. And then well, Christ it's, it's, it's tragic um, because what it is is, in, in the, it was shown very well in the, in the movie where the new governor is coming into Jerusalem, and Ben Hur's uh, on his family's. Uh, you know, uh, two-story, I think it's two-story home or, you know, it's like a villa, it's a big house and everything of his, of the house of her. It's referred to as a house of her. And he's leaning over the edge of the roof to, to um, get a good view of the new governor coming in. And he loosens a tile that uh, hits the governor and knocks him off his horse or something. And because of that, the Roman... Uh, legionnaires, you know, rush into the house and they arrest him. Well, it's actually the sister who does it in the movie. So the sister does it and he stands in for her and uh, says, okay, says I, I forgot. I, yeah, I forgot. says that I, I've done it. So that's the precursor for him being captured and imprisoned. But the, again, to make sure that everybody understands the story. So that's the setup. You've got this uh, aristocratic uh, young Jewish prince and he's friends with uh, with the Roman aristocrat. There's a conflict um, because he is. Well, they, they have a nice good. scene in the movie where they. Uh, yeah, they let, let, me, let me just finish just giving them the the, okay. of the the idea of what this is about. So you've got the the young the two young aristocrats, um, and they're now part of different worlds. One is a conquering world. One is a captured world, and so the conflict between the two is what plays out through the rest of the film. There were a lot of the different plot of Ben Hur. So, so please go ahead. Well, in the film, they initially show them coming together, and they're they're glad to be reunited. And uh, if you remember, they're inside a, a a room, a big room, and there's a cross beam in the room, and they they throw spears at it, you know. And they both uh, basically hit bullseye, and they congratulate each other, you know. But after the event with the the tile, you know the tile falling and so on, uh, you know he Ben Hur gets arrested, and he's trying to explain to Masala that it's you know it's, it's just an accident. It's not it wasn't an, an, an intended assassination attempt. But um, Masala is so caught up that he, he he won't hear it, and he he uh, sentences. Ben Hur to become a, a slave on a Roman galley. And prior to that, too, they had had their first meeting. They, they, you know, they had their, uh, after having not seen each other for years. And so they, they had the friendly spirit tossing contest, as you talked about. But then as they started to talk to each other more, um, Hur realizes that his friend has become something different than he was as a boy. And that culturally, Become a fanatic. Yeah. yeah, he represents something different than what Ben Hur wants at that point. So, okay, we've got this set up. Let's they they consider themselves br like brothers. I mean, they really right thought the world of each other. And then, as they grew apart, as they grew up, and they grew apart, and went, and the inherent conflict you have, uh, the tension you have between someone who is 
the one of the aristocracy of the conquering nation and one who is of the aristocracy of the nation that has been conquered. So Ben-Hur, Judea was conquered by Rome. And so that's the conflict that the film sets up and plays it out, the book as well, plays it out on a human individual level. So let's let's talk about the movie, okay? Let's talk about how the movie unfolds and then what happens and the thoughts of it. So the listener has the setup. We, you know, Ben-Hur and his friend are now separated by the political realities of the time. There's a tragic occurrence where Ben-Hur has to step in and take the blame for uh, what it appears to be that he somehow was maybe deliberately trying to injure the governor, which his sister wasn't. She was just trying to get a better No, it was an accident. It was an accident, right. And so he gets sent (laughs) off to be a galley slave. And through that whole process, there's a number of scenes where there's a great naval battle and Ben-Hur saves the life of uh, a Roman. I'd like to explain that because they... Well, just to, to kind of follow all the way through, saves the life of an aristocrat, becomes beloved by the aristocrat, uh, also becomes a, a, a chariot racer. So there, he learns about how you know the life of Rome and really becomes part of all that. But so go ahead about the. Well, he becomes a slave on a, a galley, mm-hmm. and the, and the Roman galleys, like the Greek galleys, had multiple three levels of rowers. And um, and and so it, it shows him, you know, bare chested and sweating, and he's rowing and everything. And the, the Roman slave masters are using whips to whip the men to uh, row harder and all that sort of thing. But before they have the battle, the um, <clears throat> admiral of the fleet, uh, played by Jack Hawkins, gives them sort of a pep talk. And he tells them they have to they have to row hard. He says, "You're only here to serve this ship, and if you don't serve it, you will suffer." You know. And so he gives them a very stern warning. So what's interesting and and ironic is the enemy sinks uh, the admiral's uh, ship, the flagship, <clears throat> and he's in the sea, and then Ben Hurst thrown into the sea. And um, he sees a piece of the of the ship, and he uses it as a raft. And then he sees, you know, Jack Hawkins, and he drags him on board his little raft-like thing. And Hawkins tries to thank him. And uh, I, I thought this is good writing here because um, Ben Hur replies, "You're only here to serve this ship." You know, the, the little raft. I thought it was very ironic. <clears throat> but then Jack Hawkins really appreciates the fact he saved his life. So he takes Ben-Hur back to so, Rome, and he makes him his adopted son. Gary, just and, for a quick second to interject, Jack Hawkins is the actor's name, so the listener isn't confused. Jack Hawkins plays Quintus, so Quintus yes. is the Roman name. So the character isn't Jack Hawkins. The character is Quintus. So yes, and he, he the, plays a, I believe, a proconsul of Rome. Right. So it's a, it's a, <clears> a very, a high very ranking, high ranking Roman named Quintus. Exactly. A very high ranking, and so Ben Hur therefore is high ranking. And so I think Jack Hawkins dies, and then Ben Hur goes back to Judea to reunite with his family. 
Well, Jack Hawkins, uh, no, in the movie at least, Jack Hawkins uh, is basically bestows upon uh, Ben-Hur, he treats him as his son. And so he is alive, but Ben-Hur wants to go home. Uh, and, and well, Quintus, he lets him go home. Say, not Jack Hawkins, but Quintus allows him to go home to find his family after having been exalted and having really made his way uh, into Roman society. So yes, so then so then Judah Ben-Hur returns home <laughs> to find his family, but is uh, finds a very different place than he left. Well, they the, because they were arrested and they're put in prison, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so Ben-Hur wearing a toga, you know, because he's allowed to, he's the son of a proconsul, very high status, higher status than... Masala. And so he goes into Masala's office and Masala sees him, you know, and he says, you know, what? I forgot exactly the dialogue, but it's something like uh, what what supernatural event has made a slave into a proconsul of Rome? And, uh, and, Ben-Hur had some clever response to that. I forget. It's been too long since I've seen it. <clears throat> but anyhow, um, they he wants to find out what happened to his mother and sister, and he, he, he you know, Masala doesn't tell him. Uh, and then this uh, event of the chariot race comes up, <clears throat> and Masala races and wins, you know, all these chariot races every year. So Ben-Hur decides to race against him. And he connects with this uh, Arab uh, leader, uh, very well played by Hugh Griffith, by the way. And <clears throat> so Hugh Griffith trains him how to race chariots. And he has beautiful white horses. That was a good scene where he calls the horses and they, they come into his tent or wherever it was. And, you know, like... Like like dogs or something, you know. I mean, it, it was a real well done scene, I thought. And so they have the finally have the chariot race, and they say the chariot race is in Jerusalem, and that's what I don't like because the uh, racing uh, uh, <clears throat> facility is, they, you know, that didn't exist in uh, Jerusalem. It did exist in Antioch. And uh, so Ben Hur, uh, Lou Wallace has it correct in his book because he has a race taking place in Antioch, which I think is in present-day Syria, if I remember correctly. I think so. We can go confirm it in just a second. Just to, just to clarify a couple of things, in the film it plays out just a little slightly differently. Ben Hur finds out from um, the, uh, the the woman who is the the daughter of, of an old family friend, I'm trying to remember, Esther, that's it. Esther is the character. So he finds out from Esther because Esther knows, Esther sees the the mother and the daughter and sees that they are lepers. And she asks that they that Esther not tell Ben-Hur that yes. they're alive. They're, she, <laughs> right. asks them, right. she asks them to say, were dead so he can remember them as they were. And so he, she tells Ben-Hur that they're dead. And then Ben-Hur doesn't actually see Masala until 
after the the chariot race, and then Masala says, "Well, he sees." I, that's not true. He sees Masala before as they're preparing, but then at the end, then Masala, as Masala has. Yeah, well, I'd like to explain that, but sure, I'll let you I'll let you go <clears throat> and do that. But, but anyhow, but they, then Masala explains that. But then Masala explains what has happened to them. So why don't you go ahead? Well, they have the chariot race, which was spectacular, you know, the way it was staged and everything. You know, they built a fantastic set for it and all that. But interestingly, the silent version, Cherry Race, was ever bit as good as the 1959 Charles Neston movie, if not better. They even had a scene where they had the camera underground and they had glass on top so they can film the cherries, you know, rolling over from underneath. Mm-hmm. They did that in the 1959 film, but they did it earlier in the in the silent version, which I think it was 1912 or something. I was very impressed by that. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, it's a great chariot race, and finally winds up that um, Masala, who tries to cheat, of course, and he tries to whip Ben Hur and everything uh, with his whip as they're uh, racing around the stadium. Um, <clears throat> and finally, um, oh, in the movie, um, as part of it, you know, his cheating kind of uh attitude he has these knife like things on the uh center of the wheel the hub of the wheel of the wheels of his chariot and so he's trying to maneuver Masala. so they'll come in and and masala destroy does. the yeah masala does yeah masala and he destroy the uh spokes of the of ben-hur's chariot but ben-hur turns the uh attack on him Masala's uh, chariot flips over, and then he's run over by these horses. And Ben-Hur wins the race, and then he comes to Masala. He's all bloodied, and he's dying and everything. And then as a a last nasty little thing, he tells them that his mother and sister have leprosy, and they're dying inside this prison. so like again, so so for the for the listener, so what has happened is so her now, uh, whose thought is mother and sister were dead, and were obviously was heartbroken by it. Is now even more angered by this entire situation, and angry at Esther and not understanding of it, and so they kind of he goes his way to find his mother and and sister thereafter. So, um, and so what what happens is he does find them they do reunite it's a very difficult sequence even though he doesn't want to they don't want him to actually see them but it's beautiful in the one hand because he wants to he loves them no matter what their their physical status is of course and he takes them out of the prison yeah right but but they want to be remembered a certain way so it is a it is a really it's a that's a but then then you have the uh close to the end where um jesus is um, you know, on the way to the cross. And he's carrying the cross. And I think, uh, I think, you know, Jesus uh, uh, falls at one point. I think Ben-Hur, doesn't Ben-Hur help him up? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tries to give him water as he get given him water. Yeah. And that was the other interesting thing because Ben-Hur then realized that part of what's been happening is that his, Ben-Hur has been hearing about this man, this special man, this Messiah. And then when he sees him, uh, and and they talk about why this Messiah being, why is he being crucified? Why is he being hurt? Why is, you know, 
he's done nothing. And then when Ben Hur sees him, he goes, I know this man. So it's it's a beautiful little connection right there. So what, what happens is, uh, and I thought it was arguably Charles Nesson's best acting job. I thought his face showed that he was inspired and everything. And then miraculously, his mother and, and uh, sister are healed from the leprosy. It's like a little miracle that is in the story. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there was beautiful music uh, composed by Miklos Rocha for the film. And uh, so, so there, there's, uh, you know, Ben-Hur has a, a good ending with his mother and sister. Of course, Jesus dies on the cross and all that sort of thing. But uh, uh, Right, but the, the idea is the world is redeemed uh, for for those, for those yes. of the faith. So, all right, so let's talk about the movie. So we're coming, we're, we're at the uh, the end in terms of our time, but let's let's try to get a few things in about the movie. So a couple of things. Uh, so this movie is made in 1959. Spartacus is made in 1960. And as we said on our Spartacus um, podcast, one of the reasons Spartac- Spartacus was made was that um, Kirk Douglas had wanted to play Ben-Hur. And this was, and, it be, and Spartacus was initially his his response, his version, his sword and sandal epic. What I find interesting about the two films is I I do not find Ben Hur that satisfying. Uh, although I love the uh, you know as a as a Catholic I love the notion of the story of Jesus mixed in with this story. I think that that's wonderful. But how it plays out, I find it's very much a 1950s epic, and Spartacus one year later in 1960 is very modern. So yeah, for it's me, timeless. I mean, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think Spartacus is the best sword and sandal movie ever made. It is, it is so naturalistic and real and well-written. <clears throat> real and uh, true and, to the real facts and great costumes, great music and great actors. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's also forward thinking because one of the things I thought was interesting about, Spartacus versus um, Ben-Hur is if you look at its treatment of women and people of color in Spartacus, people of women and people of color are treated with dignity are shown as strong agents of action. Absolutely. Like the uh, gladiatorial combat between uh, the black gladiator and uh, Spartacus in the beginning of the movie, Uh, the, the black actor, Woody Strode, you know, is, definitely uh, depicted with dignity. Right. And then, of course, uh, the female characters, all the characters in the films, uh, Verinia is shown as a woman who is empowered and has her own sense of self. Yeah, and loyal to Spartacus no matter what. Well, but more importantly, that she's loyal to herself and to her own sensibility and her own body and how she's treated. Yeah. Um, the whereas Ben Hur, you have this very weird sequence of African dancers being basically being betrayed as kind of like savage and exotic, so that's problematic. Uh, you you have also again the uh, Sheikh, uh, so this this depiction of an Arab in this very I, I thought over the top caricature of what someone from the Middle East was like, so that was problematic. Um, you had the way the women are. In Ben Hur, they're much more these sort of passive diaphanous. Yeah, very passive. I agree. Yeah, they're just they're just there to be rescued and helped and saved and you know protected. 
uh, whereas Verinia was her own woman. So that for me was problematic as well. So it was this this kind of very uh, 1950s sensibility of... Well, it really, it really reflected... Uh, there's a lot of biblical epics during the 50s, um, and Ben-Hur was kind of like the last of them, you know, 1959. Yeah. Uh, it, it still had that uh, same sensibility, uh, although on a grander scale than the previous ones, basically. But I, I totally agree with you on Spartacus. A year later, and it's just a, a film that just totally holds up today. It's as if the world changes in an instant. But, you like know, that. they've had recent most attempts in the 2000s. They had a 2010 two-part miniseries on Ben-Hur, which I did not see. Uh, and they had this 2016 film on Ben-Hur, which uh, I thought was terrible. It, it got a very poor Rotten Tomatoes review of about 26% or something. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, while I appreciate some of the sentiment and I can see some of the beauty in the way the, the old time style of how it was filmed, I thought it was lacking. I thought the story meandered too much as it was told. Uh, the performances were fine. Heston was, was, was certainly strong in the role, uh, well cast for it. Uh, but it just meandered, and the and the battle, the sea battle, just really does not. It, it does not hold up well to the modern eyes. It just looks. You're talking about the 1959 version. Yeah, well, that's the only one that we're looking at. So the 59 version, that sea battle, just does not hold up to modern no. eyes. Um, <clears throat> no. And uh, it's there's just sequences that just don't work. The chariot scene is absolutely spectacular. That still works. Yeah, well. it, it still is. plays out well, but that's about it. I mean, for me, the chariot scene plays out well. There's some interesting aspects of the film, particularly for me about Christ, but that's about it. It really doesn't work for me that well. I, yeah. I, whereas, I, uh, you know, Spartacus just has a continuing drama, but it has a double plot. Uh, you know, very sophisticated uh, script where, you know, Spartacus is trying to free the slaves, all the slaves of Rome and take them to freedom and everything. And then at the same time, you have this, uh, you know, it's end of the Republic and you have uh, Crassus and Pompey and Julius Caesar vying to take over the Roman Empire and become an emperor. You know, it's, it's really a wonderful script. There's more depth and complexity to it for sure, but it's also it's more entertaining. There is more conflict. There's more at stake at various more drama. Levels. You feel you yeah. feel much more about that. So, um, and by the way, you know you... the struggle for freedom is still going on today. It's still going on here in America. Mm -hmm. Everybody can relate to the struggle for freedom. Yeah, it's a, it was Spartacus again. We for those of you listening, go and listen to our Spartacus podcast. I think it'll be well worth it for you. So, Gary, so with that in mind, we normally will give our ratings of shields. Um, how many shields would you get out of five shields? How many shields would you give Ben-Hur? Well, i give it three. I mean, it, it had its moments. It, it had, I, I thought Charlton Heston did a, a pretty fine job, but I agree with you on the other points. And the cherry race was spectacular, so i give it three out of five. I'm in agreement with that. i give it three out of five. So I think that our... Uh... <laughs> Our audience agrees as well. Uh, that 
has been our discussion of Ben-Hur. I want to thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This is Sean Marlinuk, and this has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We've been talking about the classical world, the ancient world at the movies. And specifically today, we were talking about Ben-Hur from 1959. Thank you all for listening, and take care. Mm -hmm.